I literally lasted at that job maybe six months from that day one because you, you did not care about the user experience. You did not care about the customer. They just kept constantly pumping out product and features that didn't actually have anything to do with customer feedback, even though the customer feedback in the community and in like support were screaming at them. They did not care. And I was just like, I can't be here. If you do not care about the experience, I don't give a shit if you're paying me a dollar or six figures. I don't care. I want you to be so in love with the customer and the experience of that customer just as much as I'm passionate about it so I can help you grow as a brand. If you're not, like, I'm not into it. If that company does not value your opinion when, when you have these customers screaming at you, you have the data, you've done all the things, you've banged your head against the wall, and you care about that customer so much, but they don't, it's not the place for you. If you're in CX, it's probably because we've experienced some sort of trauma that has created us or has made us like empathetic people, right? Like straight up, right? Oh, well, you know, you should just report under marketing. And I was like, why would I report under marketing? I run my own org within Feastables. I've run experience as its own org because we want to create this customer centric, like organization. That's like how we built it. Like that since the beginning of the beginning of the company before we ever were on the market. And I'm like, why can't I be married to the marketing team? Why, but why is it that like community and digital experience and support have to report under marketing? I think that every successful job I've had has been at a company where at its very core leadership was obsessed with CX. Oh my God, here's a hot take. I remember telling you like, oh yeah, I'm gonna outsource my agents at first. And you were like, we won't name the company or we can, and we can bleep it out. But I said, and you were like, yeah, you and everybody else uses and then gave me your hot take about outsourcing. And then we bonded about it. And I was like, I hear you, but I have to. Yeah. I think it's so, so Jess is, is VP of CX at, at Feastables, which for those that don't know, it's, uh, it's Mr. Beast and, and his chocolate uh, universe uh, slash candy universe. I think the, the, the exciting thing about you and I connecting early on was that there, there aren't very many people that are doing both like CX and retention and community. And I, I think it's, it's been fun mm -hmm. to kind of see how your, your, your tentacles uh, have gone much wider than CX, which is kind of like, we spoke about this a lot uh, early on is like kind of the, the, the future of CX is just that, right? It's like the fact that customer experience is not just the person you're talking to because that's just one touch point. So if we're thinking about all the touch points, how can you, actually make a difference in in retention in community and not just say cx is everything but then somebody else does it right yeah i mean well one we're gonna answer this on this this potty episode but um i mean i think that's a common misconception that you you might say like oh okay i'm gonna start my brand and i'm gonna have cx right but everybody just thinks that's support and it's not support like you know, the bigger picture is like the people that go on Twitter and Instagram and who's, who's commenting back, who's in the DMs, who's, who's actually communicating with people, the digital experience side of it, like what's happening on the user experience on your website, like who's actually QAing your PDPs and your customer journey through your website. Cause I, I'm going to tell you right now, the devs are only in, only care about the dev stuff and the growth people only care about the growth stuff but who's actually looking out for customer experience and that's your customer experience team down to chat is brought to you by postscript in my opinion postscript is the sms platform built for shopify brands 
to be totally transparent, we just switched at Jones Road to PostScript and it is the best decision we've ever made. We were on a competitor before and they started tacking on all types of fees. Uh, the platform was not being improved at all. It was just getting it was just getting really expensive and and the service we were getting was uh, you know just nothing compared to what we've received from PostScript uh, since since being with them. The product with PostScript is just hands down the best that I've ever used. To me, it has the best integrations for Shopify stores of all sizes. It's got the best feature set. The segmentation is the easiest and most powerful. The pop-ups are great. But really the thing that I love is I've never experienced such great service from a software provider. The only time I heard from our previous provider was around contract renewal time. But with PostScript, they've gone out of their way above and beyond to make our program uber successful. And it's really evident that they care about us getting as much value out of our program as possible. So in my opinion, with PostScript, you get the best product on the market, you get it at the best price, and you get it with the best service. There's a reason why the fastest growing Shopify brands like Dr. Squatch, Native, Olipop, Feastables, and now Jones Road Beauty are all using PostScript for their SMS program. Sign up for PostScript today to take your SMS program to new heights. Right. And then, and like, let's, let's get a little tactical. Uh, people that have listened to like season one, two, three, if you listen to a million episodes of Cody and I talking about kind of both growth and retention, the, the exciting thing here is that like, okay, you've gotten here. You probably believe to a certain extent that uh, CX is, is proactive. You believe that CX is, is not just support. You believe that CX is every touch point a customer has with, with, with your company. The, the question that people ask me very often, they probably ask you as well is like, okay, you have all this ideology wise how do you how do you create a space a where people believe that cx and community should go hand in hand and then once you have that how do you how do you build out the community team how do you pass along customer insights from you know your 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 customers to kind of turn this into something magical on the community team instead of saying what most brands do is like our customers want to see x and you're like how do you know well uh we're assuming, right? So like, how do you take those insights and turn them into, into action? I mean, listen, it's going to be like the most scrappiest thing possible and a little bit of chat GPT. I'm going to be honest with you because I, I believe like this just comes from a very like um, customer support as well as customer success mentality of like, you always have to track what your customer is saying. You always have to like understand what your customer is like reaching out to you about. Right. And so like, when I look at community, I'm not just like, okay, cool. Like go on Instagram and just natively use the app. Don't tag your conversations. Let's not get any analytics. Like I look at it as like, all right, these are all the touch points that we have. How can you drive a data analytics dashboard. And why I'm saying that like this is very scrappy is because there's not a tool out there that's like one size fits all. Uh, you have to go like for us, like if I'm, if I'm responding to somebody on Twitter, if I'm responding to somebody on Instagram, like every comment on every DM is tagged with some sort of tag for us to then download into a CSV and then build out a dashboard. And the reason I said chat gpt is because listen your girl over here she don't know queries but she figured it out with chat gpt <laughs> let me tell you oh, code interpreting incredible yeah yeah so, I'm, so I'm you feed deaf. all this info yeah you feed all this info and you're like okay tell me how many times i'm seeing x exactly like you have like for the way I think about it is like every touch point that you have, you have to develop some sort of trend analysis from it. You have to figure out some way to tag this information to understand this information. So like, I don't care if like you're looking at your Shopify orders or you're looking at like the Twitter comment about, 
I hate this chocolate. You better be like tagging every one of these touch points of where your customer is purchasing, where your customer is giving you feedback. And then I mean, like, of course, like not just on like Twitter and like these other places, like anytime somebody is giving me a review, like I want to know about that information. And like, I build my team to not just be be thinkers of like, okay, let me like action this. Let me actually be proactive and take this information back to, you know, on a weekly basis so we can dive deeper into like all of these, this trend analysis and build out like these analytical dashboards. I know that's not like, it's very high level. We can really get into it, but like I'm a Google Sheets gal. I don't know if you want to talk about that. I mean, at some point we should probably talk about that. But uh, if we if we were like maybe maybe toss an example of me of like uh, toss yeah. an example at me of like something you're like oh I think our community is feeling X about Y we we got information we tossed it into ChatGPT we we queried it uh, we SQLed it uh, <laughs> and 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 here's kind of like the action and, and I imagine you can't get super granular but just like what does that look yeah. like? Yeah. So, I mean, every time I set up any new system it, across like support or community, we always have some sort of like tagging taxonomy that I built out. Right. And it could be categories and then subcategories. I, I don't necessarily need the resolution right away, but I want to know like, what are my four, four to five main categories? What are my like four to five subcategories off of those main categories. So, you know, if we're responding in community, I don't have my team responding natively in app. Like I have them either through gorgeous or customer, or I, for community management, we utilize a tool called Amplify. And every one of those touch points that we have, whether it's DM or comment, the, the team is like utilizing a taxonomy before they close out that ticket. And then on a weekly basis, we're downloading that information into a CSV file. And I have built out this dashboard that includes like support tickets as well as community tickets, um, Akendo reviews, you know, whatever sort of like feedback mechanisms. And that's what I mean. Like I'm literally downloading a CSV of these tags and like building out a simple dashboard to tell me like X tag, I had, you know, X percentage of conversations in social this week or, um, you know, X tag about chocolate blooming. I don't know. I'm just like making up stuff right now. Chocolate blooming happened in Twitter. And we also saw it on Instagram because I built like I literally condition. And that sounds really terrible, but like I really train my agents to and my team to understand a taxonomy, understand the what, the how, and the why. So they're going into every one of those conversations and ensuring that they're putting the right tags into those conversations. And I will say that don't overcomplicate it. Like don't, don't go in and just be like, okay, cool. I'm going to have like 50,000 tags because then what's going to happen is your team's never going to be able to decipher like what's what, like have maybe like four to five core categories, four to five core subcategories of, of each of those categories and just keep it simple. And that will give you at least the first version of what your tagging hierarchy will give you um, to then go and build out a trend analysis. Does that make sense? I No, I, I love it. I think what's interesting to me and, and something I've seen as well across a, a bunch of different brands is that people go either zero, like they, they don't tag anything and they're just like, here's my gut of what I think people are complaining about. And then you do the research and turns out it's like, no, like two customers complained about it, but they were really fucking obnoxious and noisy. So it feels like this is a huge issue. Or the other extreme is you'll have a team that, and, and I've seen this, like I've 
jumped into a gorgeous and seen 500 different tags. And it's like, there's zero action that you're going to take from, from that many tags because on an email conversation has seven, eight, nine, 12 tags, there's no action you can take from it. Cause it's like a person's complaining about nine different things. Like there's, there's no core complaint here. There's no real anything here. It's not even possible that somebody has that many complaints. So I think there's a fine balance, like you're saying, between like having, you know, signal versus a bunch of noise. And then, and then thinking the second part is like, okay, assuming like, people are complaining about the, the taste. Like that might not be something you change ever, right? Um, it might be something you change if like 90% of people are having an issue and your LTV is shit. But if like, if taste is a, is a personal preference, so at Olipop, that was like a thing. It was like, people hated Stevia. If 10, if if 3% of your customers hate Stevia, you're not going to change the entire, you know, creation because there are plenty of people that like this drink because it has Stevia versus some of the other, some of the other more kind of like, you know, other weird uh, sweeteners that are maybe less natural. Um, people hate to hear that stevia is natural, but um, you, you know, I think that's that's a good example of like somewhere in the middle. The, the interesting thing to me is like as I as I've started navigating like the, the the trend analysis and tagging and all that, it's like you you also want to create a space where, like you said, your team's not going to tag nineteen tags because they're they're just going to do zero. Um, so create a space where it's like this is a super easy lift. Like it won't take more than three seconds. I feel similarly, and we can probably bond on the QA side of things because you're in food and beverage. I'm in uh, beauty, which is now kind of switching FDA regulations, and it's like. QA teams will sometimes come in and they'll be like, I need, you know, a 30 question form on every customer complaint. Like if somebody says they were hospitalized from your chocolate, I need like 30 and, and you end up getting nothing. So I'm just like, give me five things you really, really need. And we'll slide that into a Google form and have it to you. Because when you ask for 57 questions, like where did they buy it? Where did they eat it? What did they do before they ate it? What did they do after they ate it? You're not going to get anything. Right. And it's the same with us to our team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's like two other really important things that we should hit on on this subject too, is that one, going back to like if QA team comes in and they're like, I need, you know, all the serving, right? Make it simple, like make it simple, like don't overcomplicate things. But the other thing is, is what I, I see this a lot when I go into brands and like do consulting with, and I, I've been doing these like um, CX boot camps with CX managers and like how to level them up. And one of the biggest questions that always comes up with um, these, you know, newer CX managers or people like just kind of like getting into leadership is how do I get people to listen to me? Like, how do I actually get people to like, listen to like, there's a trend. And I always say, well, you have to have data behind it. Right. So like, this is the other important factor of like, if you're setting up a new support team, or if you're going in and you're revamping it, having this sort of like, you know, tagging hierarchy system, even if it's like super simple can really do wonders for you, but also it comes down to teaching not only your CX manager or if the CX manager is like putting in place, whatever, um, but the agents who are individually utilizing it, the what, why, and the how. Like I literally had this conversation just on Thursday um, with a client that I've been like doing consulting for. I like did some spot checking and um, I was like building out this dashboard and I noticed that we we're putting um, none on one of the, the subcategories, right? And I found out it was like this agent that like put, you know, a bunch of none uh, in like uh, in the subcategory and I wasn't able to like really dive into the data. So I realized that both myself and the CX manager kind of made a mistake because we only just came into the situation and saying like, hey, like we're going to tag this now. This is why, but we didn't 
actually like show them a visual of like the real why for it. So then like I went through a quick like 20 minute training with the agents of like, here's the what, here's the how, and here's the why. And this is why it's important because we're trying to build this. And then within 24 hours, the tagging ended up getting better. So it's like, again, this goes back to like, don't overly complicate things first of all. And second, make sure that you're actually openly communicating like the reason why you're doing this, not just of like, Hey, go and do this because they're not going to do it like straight up. They're not going to do it. And when they're QAing their own tickets, they're going to be like, cool. I don't give a F <laughs> I'm in the Holy land. So I should not curse. <laughs> I, do not, <laughs> I don't, I don't care because all I'm trying to do is get to the next ticket. I, I mean, I love it. I, th I think the two things that resonate is a, uh, you should be telling the why to every one of your employees ever. I think that's a great, uh, leadership quality. Like gone over the days where it's like, do it. Cause I told you so like, okay, thanks dad. Um, number one, number two, I think the interesting thing that, that has been coming up for me in the last couple of years, probably once a month is where your team will come over to you and they'll be like, oh my God, you do not believe how many times we've had this issue. Like, for example, like you have no, you have no idea how many times like DHL has a order marked as delivered and it isn't. And you look at the numbers and you're like, oh, you're right. It's, it's been coming up a lot, but we had a hundred thousand orders. So the fact that you saw it 20 times in one week, do the math, that's 80 times a month. That's high. That's not insane high. Like that's actually just it's just exactly where it was last month. We just doubled our order volume. So you're seeing it double. And I think that's also like an interesting kind of like when you build it out that way, where it's like, if you help me get this data and we can prove that this is a real issue, we'll have the entire leadership back behind us to fix it versus just like, Hey, this is so annoying. And then we look like complainers and we don't look like, you know, pushers of the brand legacy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. absolutely. And and I mean, I think this kind of changes the subject slightly, but I Love think it. it goes into like another point of, you know, in order to cut, to develop a customer centric organization, like, and I don't mean just your CX team. I literally mean your entire organization. You also have to empower your employees to be able to one. Yes, of course, have the tools, have the resources to like give you the feedback, but also empower them to be able to like openly communicate about things too. Right. So it's like, if you, I get it. Like I know we're saying here, like, okay, come to the table with the data because it would like data only like speaks to particular individuals, but sometimes people just want to know like, the high level too. Right. But if you empower your employees to like actually think through that, what, that, how, that, why, and how it affects the company and be individual entrepreneurs for your company, you're going to get actual like information that's like valuable to you because you're, you're creating this environment that is more customer centric, more focused on like the volume, uh, more focused on like just communicating like what, what's going on, what's not going on. And then the other thing I want to say about that too, is that the other part that comes with empowering is also empowering how the business actually functions, right? So meaning like a CX associate versus like a CX manager or a VP of CX, they're all going to have different levels of understanding of the business because they only see really what's in front of them. But if you create this like 
open communication amongst your like company of like, I'm, I'm not saying you got to go through the like, P&L, but maybe you talk about the cogs or maybe you talk about like your roadmap of like where your company's going and like what, like, and why things are valuable feedback and why things aren't valuable feedback. I, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that thought, but all I'm saying is like just to educate your employees on whatever level of like the direction of the company so they can actually think like, think like they're the, also the CEO and whatever levels that they're in. Does that make sense? No, it does. I think that's a, it's a very valuable strategy in general. It's like if, if you empower your team to kind of own their, own their space and, and bring forth data, I think it, it's much more of a liberating job than just like, Hey, do this and do that. Um, which I, which I agree in, entirely. I think the two things, uh, well, I guess we've, we've spoken about outsourcing. We've spoken about tagging. We've spoken about analytics. Um, we're, we're running through over here. I think the, Two interesting things uh, before I forget, I, I want to get back to uh, Mini Katana um, shipping analysis that he posted on Twitter the other day. I think that's like an interesting topic we'll hit on. The other thing before I get there is I think that we've, my son is at my door banging. Um, the other interesting topic that I think about often is, and, and maybe I'm maybe I'm getting older and, and a little bit more bitter, but uh, I think about the fact that a lot of these you know, the questions that I ask, like, what's your dream place uh, to like your turnaround job where like they have the worst customer experience ever. And you're going to like, which airline, which hotel, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I think I'm, I'm finally getting to this realization that it, it takes a lot of energy, uh, emotional energy, physical energy to like change anything like this. And I think that every successful job I've had has been at a company where at its very core, leadership was obsessed with CX. Like Olipop was very much like that. They were they were experienced folks of our organization. I know you and I have spoken about Feastables. Now with with Jones, like Bobby is knee deep in, in CX and just like communicating with people that went to the store is obsessed with how people feel about the unboxing, the product. Season three of Down to Chat is brought to you by Tapcart. We've chatted a bunch about Tapcart in the past, but they make it extremely easy to create an app that often sees higher conversion, higher ALV, higher LTV, uh, from all the folks that use it. I wanted to briefly highlight our friends, Ron and Ash from Obvi. You've probably seen them on Twitter. They create a ton of magic with Obvi. Um, some stats that they've seen with Tapcart, 100% higher conversion rate in-app versus mobile web, 95% app user retention, 15 plus percent higher AOV in-app, and 1.5x transactions on-app for everyone on their website. If looking at these stats, their app has an impressive conversion rate, uh, you know, on, on app versus mobile web, higher retention, higher AOV, all of which, you know, increase their LTV and overall revenue. They're so awesome at creating, you know, a community and driving that community towards their app as a tool to turn shoppers into brand advocates. If you've not yet checked out Tapcart, check them out today and get up to two months free when you sign up. It's tapcart.com forward slash down to chat, tapcart.com forward slash down to chat. Now let's get into it. Do you feel like there's a would you would you ever take a job at a company that was like we just you know like we'll pay a no. lot of money just come <laughs> straight up <laughs> now no no because like I mean come on dude like I've been I've been in CX or some sort of portion of CX whether it's support customer success or like CX in a brand with like community all these things right I've been doing this for like fifteen plus years right and I and Feastables is actually my fifth startup so. Mm. And one of the struggles that I've had between the first startup and this being the fifth startup, the ones in between, was that they did not give a shit. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Israel. <laughs> but they did, they did not give a shit 
about customer experience. Like I was just like beating my head against a wall every single day, even though it's like, I have all these tactics and we're talking about like creating customer centric organizations at the end of the day, like those organizations only cared about revenue. They didn't care about the actual experience. And I'll give you a prime example of one. I actually have talked about this on my podcast. Um, and there was Oopsie, a those listening. The, <laughs> the podcast. podcast. Um, the Doug Lurch episode is what I'm referring to. Um, so I worked at this startup and this granted, this is like SAS days, right? I worked at the startup and they were like, come join us, do these things, turn around the CX org. And I'm like, okay, dope. Like I'm down. Like I had just left an organization that was acquired. So like I was ready for like my next step, right? Like an organization that truly cared about customer experience, truly cared about user experience. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was like ready for my next step. And I like walk into this organization and like, do you ever have that feeling where you walk into a company and you're like, or just any situation actually, where you're like, I'm not yep. meant to be here and I was bamboozled. Yep. Yeah. That was that, <laughs> that was that situation. I just remember, I like literally moved across country for this job. Okay. Oh, this Lord. is, so this is San Francisco to DC, moved across country to, for this job. And the first day I was like, bamboozled. Hmm. This is not what my interview is about because I'll tell you why. I'll tell you exactly what happened. I was like, okay, cool. In here, I'm like, you, you SAS, like you primarily use like Zendesk yeah. or Intercom. We were in Intercom, love Intercom. And so like, I know how to use this tool, right? I know how to get analytics out of it. I know like what I'm doing, right? And so the first day I was like, okay, cool. Like, how do I get here? How do I do this? Okay, let's like, let's like make this path to like do these things, right? And, um, I went to the product management team and I was like, Hey, how are you guys testing like user experience? How are you doing this? How are you doing that? You know, this and that, Oh, you know, already quick glance. I saw this about like the user feedback, like what, like what's the roadmap look like? And literally I got this. Why do you care? Why are you coming to us with this information? I was like, Oh ma'am, sir, this, this is a problem. <laughs> this is a problem. And from that moment on, like, I'll be honest, I'll be honest with the audience, like, and you, like, I literally lasted out that job maybe six months from that day one, because you, you did not care about the user experience. You did not care about the customer. You were just, they just kept constantly pumping out products and features that didn't actually have anything to do with the customer feedback, even though the customer feedback in this, like, in the community and in like support were screaming at them they did not care. And I was just like, I can't be here. Like if you don't care, like it go, again, mm -hmm. it goes back to the empowering your people. It goes back to creating customer centric organizations. Like it was, it was just, didn't speak to my personal ethos about how I feel about things. And I was like, I gotta go. And I never again from that situation will work in a company. For, like if you do not care about the experience, I don't give a shit if you're paying me a dollar or six figures. I don't care. I want, I want you to be so in love with the customer and the experience of that customer just as much as I'm passionate about it. So I can help you grow as a brand. If you're not like, I'm not into it. Like I'm good, man. I've turned down consulting clients. Cause I've like, this is weird. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the two questions, first of all, um, I guess it's not a question. This is me saying that, but yeah, when, when anyone tries to hire you to like, Hey, can you turn my CX around and they don't have the faintest fucking clue as to what's broken in the first place? That's a, that's a big red flag. And then the question, um, 
what advice you have? I mean, you've, you've been doing this for 15 plus years. What advice you have to people that are, you know, we have, we have a discord of like 900 CXers. Um, you and I interface with people, with people maybe earlier in their career all the fucking time. Um, what advice do you have to people that are like, Hey, I am super passionate about this, but I'm, I'm in an environment where I can't push the needle at all because they don't give a shit. Like I come up with the, the, these ideas and they shoot it down because it costs 10 cents. Like what, what advice do you have somebody in that sitch? I mean, do you want the Jess advice or do you want the leadership the, Jess I advice? Paid for the Jess, <laughs> no, I paid for the Jess advice. List on, listen, man, listen, I'm straight up. If they don't, if that company does not value your opinion, when, when you have these customers screaming at you, you have the data, you've done all the things, you've banged your head against the wall and you care about that customer so much, but they don't, it's not the place for you. Indeed.com. It, yeah, indeed.com. <laughs> Hit up Jess and Eli. We will help you find the place for you, my friend. But it, I it cannot even. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, do not, do not put that. Yeah. Eli, the introvert. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, I cannot tell you how many times I've helped people. This is like under the radar. I've, I'm, I just helped somebody this week at a job to leave a, a toxic CX org. This is like my, my secret, yeah. my secret passion. So please hit me up. Well, yeah, no, and absolutely in the same, in the same thing, because this actually goes to this, if you're in CX and Mercer Smith told me this once, if you're in CX, it's probably because we've experienced some sort of trauma that has created us or has made us like empathetic people. Right. Like straight yeah. up, Right. And like, I, I love, like, I love people like, don't get me wrong. Customers, they're not always right. Okay. Straight up. They're yeah. not always right, but I do love people and I will give the shirt off my back for my friends and for things that I care about. And if I'm in a company that the things that I care about is the customer, right? So like, I'm a naturally empathetic person. So it's like, I want to help people. Like people help me up all the time too. And I'm like, let's hop on the phone. Like, let's figure it out. I'll help you write your resume. Like, let's go. Like you, you can, I'll subcontract you in my consulting business. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Right? Like that's the type of person I am. And like, and, and if you're like, an individual that works in an organization that is like, does not care about the customer, does not really care about the experience, really just looks at you as like support and like, doesn't look at it as like the overall, like what we are preaching customer experience and retention. It's not the right fucking org for you. Like it's, it's literally not, there's going to, be, those are the orgs that can go outsource their support if they want, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. chat GPT, hundred percent of chat. my tickets deflected. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. I <laughs> By think a it's, robot. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's interesting to me just because there aren't that many, you know, like uh, CX is still in its infancy is what I mean to say. And it's still hard to find a kick-ass, fantastic CX operator uh, that has experience in D2C or has experience in CPG. It's, it's still hard. And while we know a couple hundred of them, um, orgs have a hard time, like, because when you put up a role, you're like, Hey, I'm hiring a CX manager. You'll have 10,000 applicants because everyone is convinced this is an entry level job. And if they worked at a front desk at a, at a, you know, wherever they can handle it, if they worked in an office, they can handle it. Everyone's convinced that if they've done anything ever in their life, they can be a CX manager. And, and that's the problem is when you look to hire, you'll have a thousand applicants, but finding good CX applicants are really, really difficult. And finding an org that really, really is passionate about CX and will do what it takes and spend the money to create an org that's fantastic for customers is also a dime a dozen. So pairing those two together is, is probably the most magical thing I've done in my career. And I know you've done that as well. It's like finding an incredible 
CX talent and matching that with an org that actually gives a shit. It's crazy because the same person that's doing CX at an org that's mediocre will just be depressed and have nothing, get nothing done. And then the second that they leave to a great org that cares about CX, all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is magical. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I think, I mean, you hit the, the nail on the head, but I think the other thing that makes me really sad about it, I wouldn't say sad, but like one of the things that honestly, I think us in art, like our discord and our people and like what we're trying to curate and like this community is also creating like leadership roles within CX. Because I don't know if you noticed, but like most most companies that were like, I'm investing in CX, they're going to be like, I'm investing in a CX manager. And then I'm only director, looking at that yeah. as like, or director, right? And like, and then I'm only looking at them to do customer support, but they're not looking at the whole entire piece of the pie and the entire piece of the pie of like retention or community or digital experience. Right. And like, I, and actually I will go back to my statement. It does make me a little bit sad that like the higher level leadership roles are also so few and far between and one yeah. in the and now because of that i have made it a personal mission a personal fucking mission at this point i said to somebody one one time like a couple of years ago they were like well what do you want to do and i was like i want to be a chief customer officer or a cxo and they're like well what's a cxo like and i'm like chief experience officer and they're like what is that and I, and I, you know, and I explained like customer experience and I kind of explained like all these touch points, like, you know, like what I'm passionate about all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, but you have to have sales under you. And I'm like, ma'am, sir, I can sell too. Like that, that's yeah. not like, why do you, why is there always this condition of, okay, these. That's a, that's a SaaS thing too. No, like having what, sales under you. And I think that's like a SaaS uh, thing, right? I heard it in e-com. I heard it in, I mean, yes, I could see it definitely in SaaS because it's like, yeah, you have like right. customer success, which like does like, you know, not only relationship building, but like upsells and like keeps, keeps the revenue coming in, of course. Right. Yeah, same thing. But yeah. that conversation was in, with an e-com leader. And the reason I actually had that e-com, that conversation in e-com when I was in SaaS in that time frame was because I was looking to break into e-com and they were like, oh, well, it's not really the place for you because there's never, you're never going to see those roles. And now I'm on a personal mission to like, why does it always have to be that? Why do you have to have sales operating under that? Like what, like, why is it that like this, I'm sorry, this truly is hot takes, but why is it that like CX orgs always have to be under marketing? I get it. Like I get it. It still is a piece of like understanding the consumer behavior, but if you're creating customer centric orgs, like in you know, if you're looking and the at customer like, is front and center, right? Like if you're saying the customer is front and center and your customer is your North star, how is yeah. it so easy to become a CMO, CEO, CFO, everything else, but CXO is like this, this weird thing line. that's like yeah. over here. And like, you can't, you can't like, I actually had somebody even tell me recently, they were like, Oh, well, you know, you should just report under marketing. And I was like, why would I report under marketing? I run my own org within Feastables. I've run experience as its own org because we want to create this customer centric, like organization. That's like how we built it. Like that since the beginning of the beginning of the company before we ever were on the market. And I'm like, why can't I be married to the marketing team? Why, but why is it that like community and digital experience and support have to report under marketing just because like, I, 
we have like two different tactics. Like I report to you what that feedback is. I I help you become customer centric, but I also like, I can still do retention marketing and it doesn't have to go under marketing. I don't know. I just have like a thing about it. This is a good hot take. And it's, it's, it's interesting to me. Like I, I think now being in this industry for a little bit, I have, Aside from you, you know, a VP, like we know the SVP of CX at Figs, who we've had on the podcast, Mike. Um, and there's like, we, we, we both know like VPs, SVPs, but CXOs are like a black swan. They, they rarely exist. It's like, you know, people, we've seen CMOs in, in their 20s and, and early 30s, but becoming a CXO is usually like 50, 60 year olds. It's, it's an interesting it's an interesting situation. I mean, you and I both agree on this, that it's it's going to change dramatically. Like I've been doing this for 10 years. You've been doing this for 15. We've seen a dramatic shift in the last 10, 15 years. This is only the beginning. Like I I, I bet my life on that. I think everything's changing. I think CX is is continuing to be looped in, in within community and retention. I think it's, it's continuing to be viewed as, as a leadership role. I think, you know, CMOs are, are in the last 50 to 100 years. I think, again, we'll see a shift to, to CX. But realistically, I think we're, we're it's an uphill climb. Like if, if we were to take off all the all the you know optimism uh, glasses here and and be realistic for a little bit, it's it's an uphill climb. And I think CX is is continuing to be paid a lot less than other similar roles. And, and the reason for it is is like it's very hard to find a great retention person or a growth person, and they're incredibly smart. Whereas CX is just CX, right? And I think we we are consistently underpaid compared to our peers. And I think that's like a a much larger issue to try to fix um that's going to be more than just you and i um but that's you know like the 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 the, the call to arms but um i i mean i think the if we were to shift gears a little bit um because i know we're we're almost at the end uh i something that i've seen lately and and i i flag this to myself to bring back up is like the the idea of of viewing it's kind of viewing LTV as, as this indicator and looking across the business as a way to see how you can shift a, a customer experience to meaningfully change LTV. And we've seen this in like cohorting of like a customer that buys, you know, these nuts um, might have a higher LTV. These nuts is a, a feastable uh, chocolate bar for those at home. Um, but a customer that buys, you know, one SKU might have a significantly higher LTV than somebody buys a different one. So we start, you know, like, hey, how can we get this SKU in order number one? We've done a lot of that on the, you know, pre-sales or sales slash marketing side. Um, we saw the CEO of Minikatana post on Twitter last week that, you know, he was like looking at his his uh, shipping and, and his shipping was all it was all taking place from the West Coast. And he was seeing that like the longer the shipping, uh, the lower the LTV, like he saw a significant correlation between like it taking, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine days versus two, three, that the LTV was much lower. To me, that was like, you know, the second we saw that Cody was like, you should check with JRB because like all of our stuff ships from the East Coast, we actually saw a negative correlation. So I think it probably depends on on the brand of the universe. But I'm curious if if you have seen anything like this and, and your thoughts more more broadly on on how experience shifts LTV in a, in a dramatic way, because that's like basics, right? Where it's like, it's taking you 10 days to get a product that you're super excited about. It's a it's a sword, um, mini katana, and you, you get your product quicker. It would make sense that you'd want to spend more at this brand because you, your your time between excitement and actually getting the product is, is so close. I'm curious on your I guess your thoughts, your hot takes, your, your considerations, what that's bringing to mind for you. 
Well, I mean, I don't want to like keep hammering on the shipping, but I think it's like the the broader of like, I think e-com is just honestly really hard. It's really hard, right? Like, why can't I just go to the store and like go and, par and purchase it? So it's like everything that you're doing from the moment your customer is like on the site and puts it in their cart and then makes the purchase and then it has to get to their door and then they unbox it and then this and that like these are all like major touch points that you have to like optimize for and like and I, I don't necessarily know where I'm going with this thought but I, I just like my biggest thought is like e-com is just fucking hard first of all right because it's like you don't have that instant gratification so by eliminating any sort of friction at every touch point for that customer in, in obtaining your product, also getting the product in like the best quality possible. So like I slang chocolate bars across the country in the middle of summer, which is really tough. Okay. But like maybe instead of maybe it's also looking at like, Hey, where can our distribution centers be? So like we can, you know, I don't, I don't know, like ship quicker, right? Like what can we put into like that packaging to like make it ship quicker? Or maybe it's not even just like cannibalizing and it, our D to C portion that like, if we're available in like Walmart and Target, like we can still push that customer to go and purchase it and get it in their hands a lot quicker and then draw them back into our website through some sort of experience on the back of the bar, which we do do. We have a QR experience and then all, and like get them into like the first party data, like aspect, like it's like where, where my mind's going is, is not just like, it's thinking about it a little bit broader than just like in D to C in e-com, like how can you still serve your customer if you're an omni-channel brand, or maybe it's like not the right fit for you to like send that product to them right away. Like how can you like still develop out like some sort of experience for them to be in a constant loop and to like create loyalty that, maybe doesn't drive a sale right then in that moment, but they become loyal to your brand so that they, they're just loyal in general. Like if you look at the case of like mini Katana, I know like he, I know Isaac was just like talking about shipping, but they have like this really dope community. They have a massive community that like creates this funnel of you're a part of our community. Okay. Maybe you can't purchase the sword now, but when you do, we want to make that experience really good. Uh, if I look at feastables, let's just say feastables, right? Like, okay. Going back to my story about like shipping chocolate across the country is really tough, but we can push our customer to communicate with us through like sweepstakes or content or community building. And then when the time is right for them to make that purchase, then we're within, we're very thoughtful about like what those campaigns are and like getting them to like go out and buy it through D to C. But if not, we can also send them to retail. I don't know. I don't think this really gave you like what you wanted to hear, but like I'm thinking about it from like an overall brand loyalty perspective and maybe not just focusing on like one sale and thinking about it as like, is the time right for my customer to purchase it? And if it's not right, how can I build an experience for them? So they want to continuously be a part of my brand ethos. This is a perfect segue uh, to the last topic I had in mind, which was how do you kind of selling nationwide Walmart, how do you, are you tracking like D to C to Walmart and then back to D to C? Is there a goal to have people D to C versus Walmart? Like, are you optimizing for one versus the other? How do you think about that whole 
you know, I, I miss the Olipop days because now it's just D to C, which is so much more pure and simple, but, um, I'm curious how you, how you view that. Yeah. I mean, Feastable, like, honestly, dude, like Feastables is a weird egg. <laughs> Let's just be real. Right. So Feastables is a, you know, brand where there is sweepstakes behind it. There is content. There is this like major drive because of Mr. Beast. So since day one, we've always had a QR experience on the back of our bars. And like, that's what we've been utilizing, like as we've expanded and like, at this point, we're mostly retail because it's just, it's just more attainable. Right. But when we are D to C is like, is when it's like oriented to sweepstakes or content or, you know, driving those sales in those ways. So like if you go through Walmart or target or any of these places, we drive you to the QR, to the QR experience to then be able to like, whether it's like entering a giveaway or learning more about us, like some sort of gamification situation. Um, and then drives you back to D to C. So for more tactically for other brands, and this is actually like something that I'm, I'm helping a brand do now, they don't have a QR experience, but I'm helping them like think about like, like as they've expanded into like more retail stores, I'm helping them think about like, what is that QR experience to whether you're on the shelf how do you drive them back to the store? But also if I see some sort of like advertisement at, cause this is a thing, they will be like advertising at a soccer game. How do you like drive them back to, you know, D to C, right? Like through a QR code on a screen. Like my point is, is just like there, if you can't do, if you can't attain that customer in these avenues that like they just see you out on the street, thinking of ways of like driving them back to your site to learn more about you is like the end goal. Does that make sense? I feel it like does. I've trailed and I apologize. No, it does. It does make sense. Um, well, two things. First of all, if anyone wants to find Jess, uh, the Oopsie podcast, one of, one of my favorites, um, and you want to drop the drop the links tell them where they can find you like social yeah. all that yeah Consulting. if you want to hear me ramble on about qr codes <laughs> and customer centric organizations you can find me at justservion.com i'm actually going to be dropping a newsletter in the next couple of weeks um, focused about Ooh, around and focused around leading and it's called sunday postcards notes from an empath leader. So justservion.com, um, as well as LinkedIn. I'm not as active on Twitter these days. So those are the spots. <laughs> okay. Tell me, uh, you're in Tel Aviv now. Um, oh, I'm what, what are you, what are you about to eat? Get me jealous. Ugh. Tell the people where you're eating, where well, you're going. Your favorite, Eli, Baba Ganoush. Stop it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, can't believe, I can't believe you're there. I'm like listening uh. to her uh, in the in the background hearing hearing Hebrew and feeling like I'm having intense FOMO. But um, you're in my favorite place in, in the entire world, which is Jaffa. Um, yeah. For those listening, uh, put that on your list. Right by the water, delicious food, very diverse cultures. Um honestly the greatest place you've been there in the past right mm -hmm. i've only been to israel once and that was uh birthright so now you're but, out of you're out of the birthright jail you're you're free to roam yeah and i just want to <laughs> say for the for the audience listening birthright i went to like the older group which was 26 to 32 mm -hmm. let me tell you that was really tough <laughs> yeah. because we were yeah. all adults and we just wanted to go live so i'm now back in tel aviv 
um, six years later, and I brought two of my friends and I'm showing them the motherland. It's is it hot? Oh, it's so hot, but there's something like, listen, like there's just something really magical about when you come to Israel and like you land in the, like land at the airport and like, you know, listen, that's a walk down the hallway and granted it's like all hot mess. Cause it's like, you just spent 11, 14 hours, like in a flight, whatever it is. But there's something so magical when you step out onto the ground in Israel, because the people are the people, the food, the atmosphere, just everything about it. It's just the most amazing place on earth. And you, and honestly, I feel the safest here than I do anywhere else in the world. Okay, let me give you uh, two tips. Um, I don't want anyone to think that this podcast is sponsored by, by Israel. Uh, but two tips here. Uh, right near where you're staying, there's a market called the Flea Market in Hebrew. It's Shuk mm-hmm. Um And there is a coffee shop called Dama Cafe, D-A-M-A, Dama Jaffa, uh, Jaffa. And they have the most insane Swedish pastries in the entire universe um, sitting on the counter every morning. So make sure you go to Dama. Um, and there's another good couple of food spots in the area that I'll, I'll shoot you a, a text about. But please go to Dama, get the sweet pastry right at the front of the counter, take a photo of it, put it near your face, put it on Instagram and, and, and tag me. Done. Your wish is my command, Easy. my friends. <laughs> well, thanks a million for, for helping us uh, finish off the, the season here. And um, I love you and I'm thankful for you and I'm excited you're here and I'm excited to create some more CX magic. Heart you too, buddy. Thanks for having me. I will see you soon. <laughs>